Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industry from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out why tech-enabled service businesses win, and Claude Burns is going to tell us all about how to do it. Uh, Claude's a serial entrepreneur, Navy veteran, and the founder and CEO of Office Libations, which is a corporate refreshment and food service company in the San Francisco Bay Area. His company's made the Inc. 5000 uh, list twice, coming in as high as 224. Congratulations, Claude. And continues to grow and help companies navigate the new world arrangements, new work arrangements in a post-pandemic world. Prior to starting the company, he served on active duty for six years in IT-facing roles deployed in support of OIF and OEF. He's a graduate of the Naval Academy and has an MBA from MIT Sloan. So he's all over the planet. So, Claude, great, great to have you here. Hey, Who thanks for having me, Bill. Serve? Who are your clients? So we serve geographically in the San Francisco Bay Area. So San Francisco, Silicon Valley, San Jose, and the East Bay. Really what we serve is organizations that are want to take care of their teams. A lot in tech in this area, a lot of biotech, a lot of professional services, typically industries that are very human capital intensive. So what problem, Claude, did you guys identify and, and you go about solving? I think it's a problem most people ha have experienced. You, you've had some friends over for a birthday party or a barbecue, and you're dealing with food for 20, 30, 40 people. It's a lot to handle. Now multiply that by three or four times the number of people and do it every day. And it gets to be a, a large workload. So what we do for co companies is take care of their food and beverage programs and build programs that support their budget, their uh, dietary needs, their um, kind of unique uh, culture of that particular company. And we do it every day. So they don't have to worry about it. So that white glove, high touch service that we're really providing for clients so they can focus on the main thing that they do and not how to take care of all their teams with their food and beverage. So you you form a long-term relationship with your clients, it sounds like. Correct. Yeah. We've worked with some clients for probably six, seven years now from for the pandemic, through the pandemic, and still to this day. So we like to be a partner to the companies that we work with and really understand what they're trying to do for their teams. And we grow with them. So whether they're a small 20-person company that's growing to three, 400, 500 people, we can support them every step of the way. So uh, maybe uh, you could uh, give us a typical uh, case study of how you go about delivering your products and services uh, to your clients, Glenn. Yeah, I think with to try to put in something most people understand is you have your grocery list that you're going to go to the grocery store and get every single time. So our customers tell us what their grocery list is. What are the products and what are the items that we need? We also provide equipment like coffee makers, fancy bean to cup coffee machines that will make like a fancy mocha for you, all, the, all those type of things, refrigeration. And so we they tell us what they need and then it's basically on autopilot. We show up as needed. So whether it's a daily service or nightly service, or it's once a week, three times a week, 
and make sure that the products that they want to have in their office are there. They're stocked and ready to be consumed and it really looks good for them. So when you think of a freshly stocked grocery store, everything's put away and looks gorgeous. Once our team leaves, that's how we leave our clients. So it makes it a really nice experience for their team members to find the items that they want throughout the workday. Is uh, the environment you're in, are they branded with office libations or do you tend to just be in the sort of background? Yeah, we end up being in the background. So for some of the things like a refrigerator, they have like shadow boxes that go there. We'll actually put the company's branding. We'll actually have the company's branding in there. So it feels like a very integral part of what they're doing. A lot of these companies spend a ton of money and ton of resources on making sure that their brand is well known and designers are coming up with it. And we help them create a workspace that matches that culture and environment that they're creating. So in the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm imagining hordes of competitors that you're facing. So Claude, explain to us how you different yourself vis-a-vis -vis your competition. Yeah, the San Francisco Bay Area is probably one of the more competitive markets, maybe New York being one or two, just like most things. And, and in, in this market, it's about two things. Like you have to have technology because that's what people are used to. They want to see dashboards. They want to have the way to access information when they want information. But we're ultimately a service business. And so we also need to build that culture internally of being service focused and have people when clients need to talk to somebody. Not everything can be solved by tech. And sometimes it's nice. And I, I'm sure to talk with someone and you're like, I have this idea. This is how I'm doing it. And someone's, oh, I've done this many times. This is how you want to do it. And this is going to get you the result you want. And that's what our team can provide is both tech when you want it, people when you don't. Think back on how you came up with the idea, how you put the company together, how you built it, what kind of roadblocks you have. Give us a story, soup to nuts, if you will, Klein. Yeah, so it's a, a winding path. So you've got a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, we do um, indeed. So originally the company started as a sort of e-commerce subscription beer club called Noble Brewer. So it didn't even start as office libations. And through that process, we were finding amateur home brewers that were making beer at home that was winning all kinds of awards and gave them a way to work with a brewery and send it out like a wine club to people who were interested in trying these beers that really didn't exist. And through that process, we started making more than we were selling online. And so we had to, like most entrepreneurs, we had to find a way to, to sell product. And so we started approaching a lot of the offices in the area and sharing the story. And some were excited about it and others were like, yeah, that's great. Can you just get us Lagunitas? And like most people, it's got a paying customer. So like, how do you deliver that need? And it grew from doing kegs of beer, both stuff we were producing and stuff that was commercially available. And then it turned into kegs of wine and then kegs of cold brew coffee and kombucha. And then it turned into regular coffee and then snacks, drinks, and now a full one-stop shop for everything from third wave coffee to alcohol to chef prepared meals. And really it's been about at listening to what customers ask for and then providing it. So they asked, can you do this? And we said yes and figured it out. So how, how'd you go about financing this operation? We bootstrapped it step-by-step, step, got another customer, they paid us. And that's part of what led to the initial pivot was it was trying to raise money for the e-commerce subscription club. This is back in like 2014, 2015, when a lot of the box of the month kind of clubs oh, right. were very popular. 
weren't successful, like uh, wasn't the, it wasn't successful, but needed a way to keep the lights on. And so I would load up my cell beer to uh, a lot of these offices, load my Jeep up at 5 a.m. in the morning with all the different deliveries for the day, drive around downtown San Francisco for a few hours, and then come back and work on the my day job, which was the beer club. And then realized after probably longer than it should have taken to realize that the actual business and the thing that was actually making the money was servicing offices. And so in 2016, we pivoted to that and shut down the original product line in 2017 and just grew from there. But it, by some ways, a, a default had to bootstrap it because it wasn't really, a, to be honest, a well-thought-out plan. It was just, what's the market asking for? And let's deliver it. So you mentioned let's several times. So Talk a bit about how you went about, Claude, building your team and developing a management structure and all that sort of thing. It's been a journey. The original team that started with the beer company, for the most part, was have all moved on to other things. When that sort of failed and shut down, we had one team member stay on, and she's our, our CRO, so she's been there the longest. I relied on outsourced VAs in the Philippines to do a lot of my back office and admin stuff. And couple of those team members have been with us for years. And then the rest of the team, we were getting into a really nice stride and rhythm with sort of management team and sort of good roles and responsibilities until the, the pandemic hit. And once that happened, we lost 95% of our revenue in two weeks. So that entire, that entire structure and how things were getting done got demolished and we had to rebuild back in, in 2021. So it, it's an ongoing process. And I think it's our job to figure out what is the next thing that the business needs to take it to the next level? We recently brought in a, a senior general manager to run all of our operations here, which frees up me and some of the other management team to focus on some of the things that we think create long-term competitive advantages and really create value for our customers. While we have an expert in leading teams and, and specifically in this industry, running our day-to-day -day operations. And we've learned a ton by bringing in uh, senior leaders and understanding like Hey, there, there's a bunch of stuff that as long as you're in business that other people have experienced in different ways and can provide immense value to you right off, right out of the gate. So tell us a bit about your culture. What did you build a culture did, uh, that you decided on or did it, did it just evolve? What happened? How did the culture get built? Yeah, I would say it, in the early days, it's evolved is the easiest way to say it. And a lot of that is from our journey, our path from pivoting from one business to another business and then pandemic and everything. So we've had to rebuild the team probably three times now. And so each team functions a little differently. And one of the one of the things we've done is set up like core values for the organization. So we can, when we're talking to team members and coaching, we can lean on those as our core principles of what it is. And that's something that's very similar in the military. Uh, you have core values and you make sure that you're living those values. And when people don't, it's why not? What happened? And because there's in any organization, there's so many things that happen, so many unknowns that are going to pop up. The only way for people to make choices is if they're grounded in principles or in values, because you can't SOP everything. As much as my the analytic side of me wants to process everything out, it, it just, it, you're never going to figure all of it out. So you really have to teach your team to, to make the right choices. So uh, talking about, uh, again, about the team. So tell us a little bit about the kind of roles you have, what kind of positions and how do you go about recruiting your uh, team members? 
Yeah. So the vast majority of our workforce is very operational focused. Our warehouse teams, our route delivery teams, our merchandising teams, our technical teams. And most of those are the either in the warehouse, obviously picking products for the next sort of day's deliveries, receiving products from all the different distributors that we work with, breaking them into smaller orders for clients. And then our operations teams that are on site delivering uh, the goods and the service that our clients expect. So I would probably say I'd have to think about it as 65% or something like that of our team is very operational focused. We have sort of our sales uh, side of the house and sort of customer success side, and then it's the management team. And so we're very, very operational heavy. And most of our business is built in step functions. As we gain another client, we increase manpower to be able to deliver service for them. And then the, I think the challenge that we face as the management team is figuring out what additional overhead and when to bring it on, whether we're using outsourced contractors for marketing related needs, whether we're you know doing the same thing for our back office, or do we invest in more support for our operations team? So it's constantly a balance of overhead sales and our operations team to make sure that they don't get burnt out. And we're not just asking them to deliver way more revenue than they, they can because they will burn out in doing that. And so we're constantly taking that balance, uh, especially as being a bootstrap company and figuring out where do we invest resources to what to what sort of team, where's the bottleneck, what is the thing that's going to break the company or what's the thing that's going to propel the company and trying to figure that out and then assign the right people for the right roles. So you've been through the pandemic and survived. Congratulations. <laughs> so what's your view of of economics coming up here. Do you, are you concerned about the near-term economic picture in the Bay Area or what's your uh, vision tell you? Yeah, I think there's kind of two questions and I think all economics is very local. We In this area, there was a lot of tech layoffs at the end of 2022 and in through the beginning of this year. And you're starting to see that moderate a lot more. A lot of that's because how the companies are built with a lot of venture capital, their boomer bust, high growth. And I think the, the general valuations people are negotiating back and forth on from some of the frothy markets in the 2020-2021. Overall, I think we, we're due for a little bit of an economic cycle when you look throughout history. And I try to use perspective as much as I can to think about things. It's hard to have perspective when it's happening to you. But I think it, nationally, betting against the United States has not been a good bet throughout history. So... I think we'll eventually figure it out. This area has some things that it needs to overcome and change the perception because sometimes perception is reality. And I think as the area, as as we reset a little bit coming out of the pandemic, people and valuations and companies will figure out what the overused phrase of a new normal and what should interest rates be and what's growth look like, what's profitable growth look like. But ultimately, I, I wouldn't bet against the, the United States. Okay, great. That was a nice analysis. So generally speaking, are you a leveraged company or do you are you a cash flow oriented company? What's your money management philosophy, Clyde? Yeah, both. Both, okay. <laughs> yeah. So we use debt to finance growth. And that's so bootstrapped is I consider it's also utilizing debt. Um, we have a lot no of doubt. Uh, yep. a lot of equipment, uh, vehicles, you know, some of that food service equipment's very expensive. But I look at it as you're, you always want to have the cash flow to support your debt. 
And so cash flows are very important, but at the same time with our growth rate and like the things that I think we've been able to accomplish when the world hasn't been shut down and we've actually had a market, I think that taking leverage and growing faster than what your leverage costs is always going to be a winning strategy. And it creates a lot of opportunities for companies who use it responsibly. Not all companies do, unfortunately, but I, I think you have to understand your business model, your economics of like, how do you make money? Where do you make money? And in some ways, like, where can you cut? And so coming from the military, there's always, there's plan A, but there's a whole A to Z optionality that you have. And, and so a lot of it is the plan is worthless, but planning is everything. I think that may have been an army uh, general that stated that, but that's my philosophy in running a business is... You're always looking for opportunities that you can invest more capital because you see that you can grow faster than what it's going to cost. And that's going to be a high ROI. And in other cases, it, it may make sense to not pursue that opportunity and, and make sure that you're financially in a good position. And that can also involve like equity, right? Making sure you have opportunities to, to raise money if needed and not just hope for the best. I think you got to have a lot of options as an entrepreneur because the world moves very fast. Excellent. What's holding you back right now? What do you see as the barriers or not, or bumps at least in front of you? Yeah, right now we have a, I don't want to say holding us back, but we have a couple large opportunities that we're waiting to hear on. And so with that, we will take some resources to, to get those stood up. And that's a short-term one-quarter issue. And, and I think the other thing is just really understanding and making sure that our business from the operational side and our tech is really well put together so that when we look to expand into other geographies, we can give somebody a, a very solid playbook on how to run this business and how to be successful doing that. And when everything kind of works and you're not doing all the duct tape based solutions, you can really look at scaling a business because I think there's a lot of opportunity in this market, especially in secondary and tertiary cities that pre-pandemic didn't have a lot of the types of customers that we serve. But through the dispersion of capital and there's been a lot more companies relocate to some of those smaller cities in the Southeast and Texas and not just in your traditional major metros. Tell us, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. Connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. I think that's how you got a hold of me. So you can vouch that's how I do answer. So Claude Burns on LinkedIn and under office libations. So connect me with you there, say hi. I'm happy to help, especially any veterans, very involved in the veteran community and veteran entrepreneur community. So happy to help. Beautiful. And potential customers would get hold of your organization how? What's the best way? Yeah, officelibations.com uh, is our website. You can browse services. We're just located in the, the San Francisco Bay Area for now. But reach out, contact form on there. We also have a phone number. Like I said, we, we believe tech if you need it, people if you don't. So if you don't like filling out contact forms, there's a phone number on there. You can call it and we'll, we'll pick up. No kind of eight prompt thing to get to a human. There'll be an actual human that picks up the phone. <laughs> That's beautiful. You, I, I can tell that you're a very service-oriented organization. Claude, is there a question? What is one question that I maybe should have asked you and I didn't think of? And if and the answer would give huge value to our listeners. I, I think the question is talked about the pandemic and the impact on the business. It's like, why keep going? And to me, for an entrepreneur, like the why and what 
why is it important to you? Because businesses fail mainly because the entrepreneur decided they didn't want to do it anymore. There's money out there, there's other things, but really it's the person who's driving it in the heartbeat. And that's usually the entrepreneur. So like, why'd you keep going? And for me, it, it, I didn't accomplish what I had set out to. And I thought that I still could with this company. And ultimately it's that goal for me is build a company that can last and grow without me. That's it. It doesn't have to be this company. It could be something else. But I thought this company still had that potential to be able to fulfill that why for me. And so for a listener, I would say, make sure you know what the why is because times will get hard at some point. I hope they don't, but I haven't met too many entrepreneurs that have just had a, a an easy path. No, no, the easy paths are rare. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple out there and I'm jealous. I'm not going to lie, but it, it's very rare to to find someone who's had that super easy path. And even if it seems easy, there's three years before it got easy. Yeah, that, and that's a very good way to put it too. You've teed up my closing. So everybody now, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as the result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having a visionary strategy, of having a system of management to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, I've got all those recesses all those, excuse me, all those resources for you. Just go to Business Mastery Pro and you'll get for uh, free all the tools you need to address those three things. Thanks for listening, Claude. Thanks for sharing your time with us today, sir. Thanks for having me, Bill.